Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF the podcast. This is episode 83 called Nora and Ani. Before we get started with today's episode, I just wanted to let everyone know that the very first Fertility Rally Live is happening on October 24th and you can still get tickets. It's going to be an amazing event. We've got more than 30 speakers from all different places in the infertility community. We've got reproductive endocrinologists. We've got infertility warriors. We've got a lot of people talking about everything from IVF to surrogacy to intimacy, sharing wellness tips and covering all the different paths to parenthood. So no matter where you are in your journey, we would love to have you and give you the support that you need. It's going to be an amazing event. It's also going to be really fun. We have some cool things planned. So head to the link in the bio at Fertility Rally and you can snag your tickets and you can also get a $10 off ticket price with the code rally with us. Again, go to Fertility Rally on Instagram and link in bio and you'll get $10 off with the code rally with us. We will see you guys there. All right. So let's talk about Nora and Ani. This is the first time guys that I've interviewed best friends together on my show. I usually just have one person, but I was so smitten with their story and their love for each other and how they got through their respective infertility journeys together that I decided to talk to them both at the same time. So you are about to meet these two incredible women who between the two of them went through eight IUIs, nine IVF treatments, gestational diabetes, a blood clotting disorder, a baby in the NICU, and so, so much more. So now that they both have their two babies home and healthy, they're focusing on their brand, which is called Narani Baby, get it? It's Nora and Ani's names combined, which makes really innovative and high quality baby products. They also are the founders of Moda Mob Official, which is at Moda Mob Official on Instagram, which is their mommy blog, their Instagram account, and their YouTube channel, which has almost 400,000 subscribers. So today we are going to get into their journeys to parenthood, including talking about fresh versus frozen transfers, Ani's ectopic pregnancy, and how they got through the roughest times, even when one of them was lying in the fetal position on the floor together. So thank you, ladies, for doing my show. And without further ado, this is Nora and Ani's infertility story. Ladies, I have to say, this is the first time I've interviewed best friends on my show. So thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. So I know I was so compelled by your story because Nora had reached out and said that you guys had formed a business together, your best friends since childhood, and you both have had infertility journeys. So I would love to hear, first of all, how you guys met and became friends and how old were you? Ani and I met when we were around like 16, 15 years old. Mm-hmm. We were the two, we were both bridesmaids at a wedding. It was Ani's brother's wedding and he was marrying my cousin. So we met there, we clicked, we partied <laughs> and we continued to party. <laughs> and then we went to separate colleges and reunited after we graduated and started a company then. 
straight out of college. Okay. And we were in business together for about 10 years with other partners. And Ani and I actually, it was kind of an intense work environment. And we had gotten married. We were trying to have kids. And we spent the last year or two years over there trying to have babies unsuccessfully. Yeah. And we realized, you know, stress is not going to (laughs) help. So we decided to leave our career behind basically and start fresh. So we left. Ani had a baby. Uh, I, a year later, or like 15 months later, I had my baby and the rest is history. We yeah. started a new company together, you know, our focus just shifted when we became moms and we were like, you know, we really want to be in this baby space. Right. Okay. So can, if you, I think it might make the most sense if we go through kind of your stories one by one and obviously I know they're interwoven because you guys are best friends and you were going through this at the same time. But if Nora, you could tell me to start, how old were you when you started to try to have kids and and what happened? I was around 32. I got married and we immediately decided to start trying because, you know, we know, we know our biological clocks are ticking. So we started immediately. And after I want to say six months and Ani started before I did. So she was telling me about her journey. And when, once, once I got to the six month mark, she told me, I I think you should see a fertility specialist. Like, don't wait. And I was like, okay. So I went and I saw a specialist and you know, when you go the first time, you, you're kind of ignorant. You don't know what's going on. You're just like waiting for them to tell you everything's all good. And you could go on about your day. And that's what happened. I, the, the unexplained infertility came about. <laughs> they ask you at that point, like, cause usually they're like, if you haven't been trying for a year, you know, you that's might why I told her to do it at six months. I'm like, just say you've been trying for a year. We lied. <laughs> good move. Cause how are they going to know? Right. Exactly. <laughs> And then we, I kept trying, I kept trying. I started with the IUIs. I started, I, you know, with numbers, it's really hard to say how, what I did because I did so much. I did around like six to nine IUIs. I want to say, wow. Yeah. I did extensive blood work and finally I changed doctors after my second IVF. I changed doctors and my doctor's I had, I think one frozen egg remaining and he said, we implanted it and I got pregnant. Unfortunately, I miscarried and he, he said, I want to switch things up with you. I feel like what we've, what, what, what's happening with you is not textbook. Mm So, you know, when you go in to get IVF, the first thing they always do is the five day frozen cycle. So they do genetic testing and it's the five day because it's scientifically proven that if your embryos are able to survive for five days, that means they're strong. Mm -hmm. So we switched mine up and did a three day fresh transfer, which is something like what they used to do. I want to say back in the day when they just started doing IVF. Nora's old school. So we kicked it old school with my IVF. Yeah. I mean, I think it really depends. I've talked to women who've done both and are still doing fresh now. So I think it totally depends on what's going on with your body and what's going on at your clinic and what your doctor recommends, you know. Exactly. And I got pregnant. I mean, this is 
three years later, but I, I got for, you know, when you talk about the story, it sounds like, oh, okay, cool. You just did all that and you got pregnant. But the reason that I miscarried the first time they found out is that I had a rare bleeding disorder. Mm-hmm. So this time I had to be on blood thinners, basically my entire pregnancy from day one and of transfer steroids. and steroids. Yeah. So I got pregnant. I had my first baby girl and then, you know, we're like, okay, let's not wait too long. Cause at this point I'm like 37. Let's, let's try again. I went in, I had a one frozen from the three day transfer. Uh, we implanted that. And again, I miscarried cause it was frozen. There's something about my body apparently that, you know, uh, a fresh embryo thrives versus a frozen one. That's so interesting. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Both frozen, uh, frozen uh, uh, didn't survive and both fresh babies survived. So I had another baby girl just recently in November okay. and another round of IVF, another round of IVF. Yeah. So I miscarried the frozen one and then we did another full round of IVF with a uh, three day fresh transfer. Okay. And how old's your baby girl now? 10 months. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, Okay. So before we get to the other story, I'd love to just unpack this a little bit and ask you a little more specifics about, you know, what you were going through. Like, obviously you've been through so much emotionally. I always love to hear how this affected, you know, your state of mind and how you got through like these tough times. Cause that's a lot of things to go through before, you know, winding up with these two babies. So what- What were you feeling? And when it wasn't working, when you were doing like the string of IUIs, for example, what was going on for you mentally and emotionally? You know, you start becoming negative by default, I feel like, because you're hearing rejections in a way once, twice, three times. And then you stop seeing kind of like the light at the end of the tunnel at some point. But it's easy to go down that road. I think it was super helpful to talk about it. And I feel like that's the one thing with IVF that I see women not doing is talking about it mm-hmm. because they they feel some sort of shame. I was super lucky to have Ani and we would nonstop. It had become kind of like an obsession. You know, when you're trying <laughs> to get pregnant, yeah. it's an obsession. <laughs> Because years are passing at this point and, and everyone, you notice, you notice every single pregnant woman, like a pregnant woman could cross the street, like three miles away and you would notice. And <laughs> pregnant, absolutely. Yeah. And it feels like everyone is pregnant and you're, you're still trying to get pregnant. So Ani, you know, she had her son and I was still talking to her about it and she was talking me off the ledge. No, but seriously, it was a lot of dark days. But one thing that we would always give each other is like, okay, great. You know, we would pick each other up. So you're feeling this way. Your feelings are hundred percent fine, but you know, you can't live in this world forever. You need to get out. And what's the next step? Mm-hmm. So I think that really helped. And that's how we run our lives. I feel like yeah. <laughs> um, whether it's personal, whether it's work, you know, you're always going to hear rejections in your life. Your life can't stop. You need mm-hmm. to keep moving. So that's the one thing we would give ourselves some time, do the morning process, you know, and cry as much as we can. Mm-hmm. And then when it, time came, when you, it was like, okay. Let's let I, I'm okay now. I think I'm okay. Let's keep it moving. What's our next step? Absolutely. So, so that's how I think I was able to go through seven rounds of IVF. 
<laughs> I mean, and Nora, wh- how, what about your relationship? Like how, cause I know it affects it. Sometimes it's easier to talk to other women about this. Like how was it with your partner or husband? I was super, super Ani, both Ani and I were super lucky to have amazing supportive husbands and they just understood what we were going through. There was days we didn't want to talk about it, especially with them. Yeah. There mm-hmm. was days we wanted to talk about it. There was days it was, we were ignoring it. We're not talking about pregnancy. We're not talking about babies. And, you know, they were just there. They were there to take the beating. Yeah, they were just <laughs> so wonderful and supportive. But, you know, there was certain things that we would take comfort into speaking to each other about, like how awful the progesterone injections were or how much the hormones are making us bloated. And that's something that, you know, a man will never understand. So it was nice to have supportive female and male figures in in our lives. And I think that really helped us. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Ani, so let's hear your story from when you started to try. Okay. So I started to try, like Nora said, it was like about six months before her. So I actually don't remember how old I was. So I'm going to assume I was also 32. (laughs) (laughs) We did a frozen retrieval and, you know, I got three eggs. The first one, unfortunately, I just didn't get pregnant. The second one I got pregnant and it was my son, Sebastian, and I had a very easy pregnancy and everything felt wonderful. And I was like, this is amazing. And when we were ready to try again during birth, I actually lost a lot of blood and that was like, I needed a few blood transfusions. So that was a little bit of a scary time, Mm -hmm. but I gave myself like a good two years to heal from that. And when my son was two, we were like, you know what, we're ready. Let's, let's try one more time. And so we used the remaining egg that we had frozen for that pregnancy. It was a frozen embryo. I got pregnant, but I started to bleed and I had like a lot of weird pains. So I was like, I contacted my doctor. I was like, I think I have an ectopic pregnancy. He's like, he's like, you don't understand how incredibly rare that is in IVF. It's like less than 1% chance. I don't think that's it, but come on in. We'll check it out. I went there. They were like, okay, this is weird. You know, your levels are going up, but we don't see the the ring, the little egg. And I was like, okay. I'm like, I'm telling you it's ectopic pregnancy. He's like, I've been doing this for 30 years. It's not an ectopic pregnancy. He's like, I've only ever seen it one other time. I'm like, I'm telling you it's an ectopic pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And then the pain just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And then eventually they had like a, a staff meeting and they called me in and they're like, we think you have an ectopic pregnancy. And I'm like, thank you. That's very <laughs> Hello, do you want to give me a job here? <laughs> also, she's saying this in a really casual way. This is Ani and when she was in pain, when she's talking about the pain that she was in, she was, you know, I was like in the fetal position. She was in the fetal position on the floor. I found her in the garage at work, literally in a fetal position on the floor and had to carry her to the office. So I couldn't walk. It was brutal. That's the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. Oh my gosh. Um, I love that you guys had each other to lean on for all of that. I don't know how we would have gotten, we would probably not have two kids if we did. (laughs) We would have stopped at one. And so they were like, you know what? It's still somewhat early on. We're going to give you this injection. It's called methyltrexate and it's going to deplete your body of folic acid. So it won't be able to support the pregnancy. And then you'll naturally, your body will naturally abort the pregnancy. They're like, but we have to do it in rounds of two because that's when it's the most effective. I was like, okay, fine. Also side effect of this is more intense, incredible, like gut wrenching pain. So they did the first shot 24 hours later or 36 hours later, whatever it was, did the second shot. Didn't work. I went back a few days later, 
third shot, fourth shot, didn't work. Went back a few days later, fifth shot, sixth shot, didn't work. And then the next day, I remember it was Labor Day and I was in bed and I was messaging Nora. I was like, I have a feeling something bad is going to happen and I have to go to the emergency room. Please keep your phone on in case I need you to come and watch the Oh. Oh my God. Two hours later, my husband called. He's like, Nora, come over right now. So she came over and stayed with my son. It was the middle of the night. My, the, the embryo kept growing and it ruptured my fallopian tube. And I was like full blown bleeding out. Oh my God. Hence way. I couldn't walk. I couldn't sit. I couldn't do anything. So then they took me in for emergency surgery and they removed my, they couldn't repair the fallopian tube. So they removed my fallopian tube. So I came home with no baby and no tube. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. It was awful. It took me another year and a half, a year to kind of recover from that trauma. I was like, I was just convinced that I just, I was just going to have one son. I was perfectly fine with that. I was like, I, I put a book in my Amazon cart that was like the only child and how to like, you know, help them. Not feel. <laughs> like, yeah. like, I'm, I'm that person. So I put, yeah. and I was like, you know, we're like, let's just try one more time. So we tried one more time. I had to do a new round of IVF and I got four eggs this time and and it was one girl and three boys. We're like, okay, let's try for the girl. So we implanted the girl and they're like, oh, you know, the levels say you're pregnant, but it's really low and you're going to miscarry. And I was like, oh, okay, fine. They're like, come back in a few days. Let's see if it doubled because you have to go back every 48 hours. I go back 48 hours later. They're like, it hasn't quite doubled. We think you're going to miscarry come back in 48 hours. And this went on for what, two weeks, three weeks, no, three months. So finally, I don't want to gloss over that. This is hard. How are you dealing with it? Like the going home and the having to wait, like that's, I think one of the hardest things about infertility is the waiting. So, Oh my God, it was awful. So at this point I'm like six weeks pregnant and they're like, okay, you know, we should be seeing a heartbeat. I don't think we're going to see the heartbeat. So let's schedule your DNC for Monday and come in on Friday for the heartbeat appointment. But I want you to have this appointment on Monday because I know we're not going to see the heartbeat on Friday. Okay, fine. So I get scheduled for a DNC. Friday I go in and they're like, there's a faint heartbeat. It's probably not going to survive. Let's push back the DNC a week. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. It was, it was a crazy time. So... I kept going back and every week this baby kept getting stronger and stronger and that heartbeat kept getting stronger and she kept growing. And they're like, oh, there isn't enough amniotic fluid around the sac. The baby is the entire sac. You're probably going to have a miscarriage. (laughs) I forgot about a lot of this now that you're replaying it right now. (laughs) Okay. So then amniotic fluid eventually got bigger the heart kept growing and then my baby girl just kept growing and gro- and she was like hell no I am staying around <laughs> and then they told you that's gonna be a genetic disorder so they checked you for all sort of genetic then they told issues. me all of these issues are probably because there's some kind of genetic disorder we didn't catch in genetic testing we need to go in to your sac and do an am- and grab amniotic fluid and do uh, amniosynthesis which can cause miscarriage, but we're really, you know, the doctor's really great. He's an amazing high-risk doctor. So complications are, we're hoping are low, but we need to do this. 
Okay, fine. So they took amniotic fluid. They tested it for 2,200 different genetic rare diseases. They're like, everything's normal. We're very surprised. We'll just carry on. I'm like, okay. So it was in my second trimester. And then they finally told me, they're like, you know what? The fluid is going from one side of her heart to the other. And it's not supposed to do that. So we're pretty sure that she has a hole in her heart. Mm. I went for like imaging at um, Cedars, which is a hospital in LA. And they're like, we don't see the hole come back in two weeks. Oh my God. Went back to my high risk doctor. He's like, no, there's definitely a hole. Go back to them. I went back again and they're like, oh yeah. Okay. Now we see a hole. So they had told me, and at this point I'm like 22, 23 weeks pregnant. And they're like, there's a hole in her heart, but we're pretty confident that based on the flow of blood, that the hole is small enough that it will close on its own by the time she's two years old. Wow. So we were kind of aware of this going in. I hit 28 weeks and they were like, okay, your amniotic fluid is suspiciously low. Cause I thought I was like bleeding. I thought I was like, my water broke. So they're like, we need to put you on bed rest. So I was on bed rest for a few weeks. And this is all during COVID, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) This is recent. Yes. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) This is during quarantine. Yeah. Okay. So I find I I was on bed rest. It was like a relaxed bed rest. So three times a day, I had to lay on my left side for like an hour. So it's kind of a relaxed version of that, which you know, in hindsight, it wasn't that bad. It was the quarantine. Where was I going to go? Right. 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 I finally made it to 35 weeks and suddenly I went to the bathroom in the middle of the night and I had, and I was bleeding. So it was the middle of the night. No one was around. My husband's home with my son. And I was like, I called my doctor and she's like, you need to get to the hospital. I think your water broke. We're not quite sure what's happening. So I drove myself to the hospital. Oh my gosh. Wait, are you guys in the same town? We are. Yeah. Okay. So you're both in LA. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why I just didn't think to wake her up. I just, well, Patrick could have, could he come inside during that? He wasn't. No, not that time. At delivery time. He was allowed to come in with me and, but he had to stay. He couldn't leave. Oh, that's right. They had a lot of regulations. So anyway, I drove myself to the hospital and I checked myself in and they kept me there for a week for observation because they weren't sure if my fluid broke or not, but I was losing a lot of amniotic fluid. So they scheduled a C-section. My daughter came a month early and they had an entire, oh, this is barely like the halfway point of my story. I hope you're ready. (laughs) So they had had an entire NICU team ready because they knew about the hole in her heart and that she was coming early. So the NICU team is there in the delivery room I see her for literally a second and then they whisk her away to the NICU. They do all these echo scans and they're like, oh, that hole that we thought was there is actually like five times the size of what we originally thought. And also there's a second and third hole. So she was born with three holes in her heart. One of them was like a long vertical one. And they're like, she's unable to breathe on her own and she's unable to feed on her own. So she was on a feeding tube and a breathing tube for three months because she was born five pounds, six ounces. And Mm -hmm. in order to have open heart surgery, the complications become less when they're closer to like eight pounds. Mm -hmm. So she had to stay in at the NICU. We transferred her to the children's hospital. She had to stay in the NICU for three months until she was big enough to have open heart surgery. Oh, 
on July 13, she finally had her open heart surgery with the most amazing surgeon. We like owe our lives to him. Mm-hmm. She spent another week there recovering and now she's finally home and repaired. So oh gosh, what a story. What a strong baby. I know, right? She's a little warrior. Again, going back to Ani saying the story so casually. <laughs> so I know. she just had her baby and you know, she's at the hospital and they're not really relaying anything to them. So for a month, I want to say you guys were under the impression that, that you're going to bring her home. And then she was going to go back for the surgery. That's what we thought. Okay. So every day she would visit the hospital and she's like, Oh no, today she's not going to come home. And she was just looking for answers and she, no one was giving her any sort of answers. And then you got fed up and transferred her to CHLA because yeah. it was just going to be a better fit. That's what they're there for. Children's hospital. I got really frustrated because they just, there was no clear plan, you yeah. know? And so the, the pediatric cardiologist there was like, well, we're going to do this. Well, we're not sure, you know? And I, and I finally was like, this was, I remember it very clearly it was Friday at 5 PM. And he's like, why don't we just circle back on Monday and talk about this? And I was like, no, when you call me on Monday, I want paperwork ready to transfer my daughter to children's hospital. I'm done with this BS. And he was know. like, um, okay. And he called me two hours later and he was like, just so you know, I submitted the paperwork and I was like, for you. Great. and I had her transferred the next morning. So literally over the weekend, I transferred her to children's hospital LA and they are the most amazing hospital. Yeah. That's the one that Jimmy Kimmel's son had a surgery at, right? Okay, my son was in Jimmy Kimmel's son's room because okay. yeah. I mean, my was in his son's room because it was the Billy room the surgeon and yeah. he had the same surgeon. I remember uh, him talking about it when he came out on his show and talking about Billy when he was first born and I was sobbing because he was, you know, so emotional. So it's funny uh, you say that because I remember watching that monologue and I remember crying and I remember thinking to myself, I cannot imagine what this parent is going through. And wow. then it happened to me. Wow. That's amazing. A couple things I want to circle back on. So you had mentioned the word, I think it was you, Ani, mentioned the word trauma. I'd love to hear both of your thoughts because I specifically and like wholeheartedly think that infertility is trauma and going through any of this stuff is traumatic. So can you guys tell me your thoughts on that too? Like, you know, if you think that way and how you deal with such trauma, because I feel like people that haven't gone through it don't get it and don't understand how traumatic it can be. And I, I think you're so spot on. And I think the one of the things like, I had to keep on reminding Ani <laughs> right now, because when you say the story back, it just sounds so casual. But yeah. when you're, and I think one of the things is trauma stays with you forever. Yeah. So it's every time we say our story and I, I like, I just heard Ani's story and I completely had forgotten about the fallopian tube. I had forgotten about all of that. And it just brought back all these bad feelings, like feelings of nervousness, anxiety. And that was our life throughout that, like four years, I mm-hmm. want to say. So I don't think the trauma ever really goes away Yeah. when it comes to infertility. Sometimes you have days where you just kind of tuck it into the back of your mind, but it, it never really leaves you. Yeah. But then I think what really helps is seeing your kids, mm-hmm. the the success of it. So, you know, I always say as not to not saying that people that get pregnant naturally don't love their children, Mm -hmm. but IVF parents love their children a little differently. (laughs) So we're, because we knew, we know what it took to get there. And 
some people won't understand that. We yeah. know the struggles we went through. We know that trauma we went through to have these rainbow babies, these miracle babies. Absolutely. I think that's the best way to, to put what Nora was trying to say is just like, you look at your, your child and you're like, oh my God, you were a miracle. Like, I cannot believe after everything, this is, we got to this point. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I had four miscarriages. I had secondary infertility. So I have a daughter who's 11 and my son is four and a half. And I, I've said this before, sorry, listeners that you've heard this before, but I, every single day I look at my son and say, I still can't believe you're here. Cause I just yeah. can't, I still can't after wanting, you know, and like you guys said, I think that people who have gone through infertility and then do have children, there is a gratefulness that you might not have, I, that I That's might not right have. You. It's gratefulness. It's a gratefulness. And it's also just an, an understanding. And like, I think it's so cool that kids who come after infertility, you, you know, their parents can tell them how badly they wanted them. And that's got to feel really good as a kid to hear that, you know, of course, tell me a little bit more about just being best friends through this whole thing, because I think it's so amazing. You know, like you said, like we said before that you guys had each other to lean on. So what were some of the other moments where you guys really just pulled each other through? You know, when you go through what we went through and you, you've gone through it. So, you know, there's days you don't want to get out of bed and having that friend there to come and not cheer you up, not say it's going to be okay. Just holding your hand. I'm going to cry talking about this because I specifically remember after my miscarriage, I was in bed and I didn't want to get out of bed. I just wanted to sit there and, you know, just be, be sad. Mm -hmm. And she came and she sat on the floor, held my hand and she didn't say anything. She wasn't there to cheer me up. She wasn't there to offer me. Now I'm crying. Uh, she wasn't there to offer me unsolicited advice. She was just there to hold my hand. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm such a big advocate on people sharing their stories because no one should go through this alone. It will be even more traumatic. Yeah. So, and that's why we shared this with our audience and we shared it with our YouTube audience and our Instagram audience. And we said, if you have any questions and Allison, you don't understand how many people will message us going through it alone. And we, we will be there throughout the entire process with them. And we've never met these people, but yeah. for them to share it with us means the world to us. There are people who just don't feel comfortable sharing it because of, you know, social issues or like, you know, their religion or, yeah. or things like that. And they will message us after every single appointment and give us updates. And we, like Nora said, we will be on a nine month journey with them. And yeah. we, and we feel like we're part of their lives. So we, we, it's, everyone should have someone. Absolutely. Yeah. I fully agree. I fully agree. So before we get off, just tell me about, I know you guys started your brand Narani baby, right? Yeah. Um, Tell me, obviously it's your names <laughs> combined. <laughs> Tell me about that and how you guys are now so passionate about making like quality products and innovative products. I love that. You know, when you go through IVF, it's uh, babies become the obsession, right? So <laughs> everything's baby, 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 you know, trying to get pregnant, trying to have a baby. So after I had my baby, I, Ani, I already had her son, Sebastian. I was having so much difficulty swaddling 
Aya. And that's when Ani and I had like this little aha moment. We're like, why don't we create a swaddle that, you know, I know what I liked and I know I knew what I didn't like. And Ani knew what she liked and she knew what she didn't like in like all the products out there. So we decided to create a swaddle with arm inserts because, you know, babies are little baby Houdinis who are able to get out of their swaddles. Yeah. And one of never figure out the swaddle, by the way, for either of my kids, I never got it. You know how many times we've heard that. Every time we tell someone our yeah. story, they say the exact same thing. So we decided to create one with arm inserts because that was the number one problem. And a Velcro fastener where, you know, you get to wrap them and they they stay wrapped. Because uh, do you know how many times I've woken up in the middle of the night when Aya was a baby with a blanket over her face? Because oh I God, didn't swaddle nothing, tight enough. There's nothing more scary. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So we put our brains together and it literally took us two years because every time a baby was born, we were like, okay, baby born. Hey, can we come over? And we would go over to someone's house. There's a lot of acquaintances that we went to, not even friends. We were like, hey, I met you one time, like three years ago. Congratulations. Can I come swaddle your baby? <laughs> so because, you know, swaddling a little stuffed animal is there or stuffed doll is different because they're not moving. So you're like, oh, this is perfect. But when a baby's actually moving, it's different, right? Because they're getting their hands out. So we had to change the product, I want to say like 10 times. Yeah, there was a lot of prototypes. And two years later, perfected it. Yeah, two years later, November 2019, the month my daughter was born and Ani was newly pregnant, we launched our baby brand, a baby swaddle brand, Norani Baby. And our swaddle is called the Snega Babe Swaddle. It's patent pending. So there's nothing actually out there like our swaddle. Mm-hmm. It's 100% organic cotton because that's super important to us. When you work so hard for your baby, you know, you don't want your baby's your your life. Once you have one, no matter how you got pregnant or whatever, your baby's your life. So you want them to be in good fabrics because there's so much crap out there now. There's so many bad chemicals and bad dyes out there that, you know, people are just unaware of, and it's so close to your baby's skin. So Mm -hmm. we wanted to make sure that we had something that was safe and organic and, you know, and still cute. (laughs) Yeah. So we all print our original to us and we launched November. I, I specifically remember dragging how many boxes? Like 252 boxes. 250 boxes while I was eight months pregnant and Ani was newly pregnant. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it is literally, we have poured our heart and soul into Blood, this. Blood, sweat, tears into this project. Brand, yeah. uh, because we stand by it. We stand behind it. Because we want to help babies and moms sleep better. Okay. Thanks everybody for listening to my interview with Nora and Ani. And thank you ladies for being so candid and open and real about what you went through. Your best friendship is so inspiring to me and makes me want to call my best friend right now. Anyway, also guys, please go to fertilityrally.com for more info on our event, which is on October 24th. One more thing I forgot to mention is that even if you can't attend it live, you'll get a recording of the entire event, which is like 11 plus hours of content that you can watch later at your leisure for the 30 days after the event. So check out fertilityrally.com for more and I will talk to you next time. Thanks so much.